What fills your heart with a song? What makes you really, really happy? For many men, it's just a good meal. They love their food. Maybe a, a new house, a new place to stay, a new car for some people around in our congregation, which I will not mention now. Good results uh, after exam, loads of money, or just a good holiday, which some of us take more often than others. Or when your grandchildren or children do well in life. All these things are giving us joy, yes. But listen to the psalmist. Verse 54. Your decrees are the theme of my song. The decrees of God. The theme of song. This is a constant atmosphere in, in this psalm, this, this joy. And I'm going to read just a few verses. You can get into that atmosphere. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I delight in your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. I delight in your law. Your law is my delight. Your commands give me delight. Your law gives me delight. Throughout the psalm, you hear this. The psalmist uses eight synonyms in this psalm, meaning more or less how God reveals himself to us. Law, word, commands, statutes, judgments, precepts, promises, testimonies. That's all part of the one revelation of God to us. But can we really see, say that, that this is the theme of our song? Joy. You know, they say that, that in the Reformed tradition of which we are part, the Word of God is in the center of our lives. I'm afraid that's not always true. We very often criticize the Catholics because they have all these sacraments. And we say we're people of the Word. But are we? Are we? Is this the theme of our song and our joy? When I look in our congregation, when we do Bible studies or have home groups, I wonder how many people are really interested in growing in the joy around God's Word. Whether we even read it every day. But you know, we, we would say, yes, but what the psalmist is speaking about here is a law and commandments and so on. 
You see, a song belongs to the sphere of festive delight. The law reminds us of punishment and submission with statutes and commands and decrees, we feel there's not much to celebrate. It's a strange thing when the psalmist hears music in the laws and the commands and the decrees of God. We feel that the gospel, yes, that's, that's the source of joy and liberation, deliverance, salvation, freedom. That makes us excited, I think. Now, does God not put a damp, dampen or dampen our joy of the gospel when he says we should also delight in the law? Does not the statutes of God restrain the freedom that we have in Christ I think it's important that we go to the school of Psalm 119 and, and, and listen a little bit what he's saying. And we should, first of all, understand the context of Psalm 119. The joy of the psalmist is a joy in spite of circumstances. I'm going to read you 13 statements in the psalm. I'm not going to give you the verses because it's 13 verses. But just listen to this. I am laid low in dust. My soul is weary with sorrow. The arrogant mock me unmercifully. The arrogant have smeared me with lies. It was good for me to be afflicted. The arrogant dick to trap me. The wicked are waiting to destroy me. I have suffered much. The wicked have set a snare for me. I'm lowly and, and despised. Look on my suffering and delivering, deliver me. Defend my cause and redeem me. Many are the foes who persecute me. Thirteen statements, and there are many more in this psalm, to say this is my context. This is the context in which I say, my, may my tongue sing of your word. Your decrees are the theme of my song. Wherever I lodge. And those last few words there, very important words in this psalm. In the original language, it says, your decrees are the theme of my song in the house of pilgrimage. Another translation says, this place where I'm only a foreigner. His experience with the people around him, the persecution that he experienced, the suffering that he goes through, makes him realize that he is just a foreigner, just a stranger. The message translated, I set your instructions to music and sing them as I walk this pilgrim way. See, these words, 
this place where I'm only a foreigner, gives special quality to the music and the joy of the psalm. Because it is coming from the depths. That's what Paul says in Romans or in Philippians chapter 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, rejoice always, he says. See, the image of exile here is prevalent. It's not a place where you normally have a choir practice when you're in exile. Imagine a prisoner in a foreign country where nothing gives security, where there's cruelty and hostility. Humanly speaking, it's a situation of suffering without any reason to joy. It's a situation that does not offer hope for any change. The psalmist is therefore not quiet about what he suffers. He suffers in the house of pilgrimage. And yet, he sings a song. These last words reminds us what true praise and joy is. To sing in our hearts in spite of circumstances. Because he knows that the last word of our situation does not come from the world. No oppressive measures and no hostile power can deprive him of this joy, this delight, this love for God's word. Why is he filled with joy? Because of all these commands and decrees and laws of God. Listen to verse 49 and 50. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. We can say your law preserves my life. Your commandments preserves my life. Your decrees preserve my life. Leslie Allen writes, he confesses that he cannot handle the future or life without the personal involvement of God with him. And he finds it in the word of God. The word of his God is in the first place a promise, a gospel word. Good news of great joy. The message of deliverance. Therefore, this word prevents him from giving up and just saying, these are the hard facts of life. This is the distress I am in. And I have to just accept it. The message of hope 
makes his distressed heart alive again and open to the future, even when there's no alternative visible. It is a message that makes old people dream dreams again. It is a message that makes young people see visions again. The vision of God's future. God's future. Let us concede that during the old dispensation of the psalmist, he only had a limited understanding, very unclear understanding of what this hope really means. But since the promising God of Psalm 190 shown his face to us in his son Jesus Christ, we have certain hope. There can be no uncertainty anymore of what God promises for the future. In Jesus Christ, he entered the house of our pilgrimage and shown his full promise in Jesus Christ. His promise of renewing and rebuilding the promise of his coming kingdom. Behold, I will make all things new. Everything. It is extremely comprehensive. The whole creation. We can look forward to that day. That's our hope. It is so comprehensive that it will mean not only the end of our personal distress, the end of our tears, the end of our fear for death, but the birth of a new heaven and a new earth where God will dwell among us. This, this new heaven and new earth where righteousness and justice will prevail. It will put an end to the self-righteousness and the wickedness with which our people changed our residence, our home of pilgrimage into a house of terror. It will become a family event where people were hostile towards one another, alienated from one another, will celebrate again together as brothers and sisters in their father's house. Yes, this is future music, but it's God's future, not our future. After the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have already a foretaste of that great glory that awaits us. How? How can we have this foretaste of the joy of the kingdom of God? By God's word. By God's judgments. By God's statutes. By God's decrees. You see, the word of God does not only promise a future. 
It also shows us the way to the future through his laws and his commands. It's not only an, assur an assurance that everything will be different, but also the invitation to us to live a new life and to transform society from a society of mismatches and fighting parties into a family event. God does not say that everything will just be different. He also says that everything can and should be different. What God's promises show as future reality is brought about by God's commandments as possibilities, the way in which we can live. This is the expression of God's will for us to live in a foretaste of the coming of the kingdom. The word gives us hope, but it also gives us direction. And only when we discover that in the word of God, God shows his heart, there's the smile of the heavenly father behind the decrees and commands of God we can begin to understand that his law brings a song in our hearts, a song of joy. The statutes of God can only be a hymn when we no longer see it as obligations that must be fulfilled by slaves, but invitations by which we can show our gratitude as children of God. That he gives us directions from the dungeons of our pilgrimage to the house of our Father. Perhaps I should say that the statutes of God can only be him, a hymn to us when we hear in it the music of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the statutes of God we hear his amazing love. First of all, God shows his love to us by revealing himself and then he calls us to the practice of love towards him and to one another. The gospel gives us hope but also direction so that everything can become new in the way that we live. Whoever loves God and his neighbor as himself lives the new life of the future. We walk towards God's future when we live according to his laws and his decrees. Of course, there are people who make this a terrible yoke, depending whether they believe that the law will bring them reward or punishment or where would they think this is the duty of a slave? There are people like the, the eldest son who cannot come into the party of the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're legalistic. They love the law because you can punish people with it. It's because they didn't understand 
that God's law is not about a police state, but about a playground for his children. It's because they didn't understand that it's not a God who's like an employer working with us with a contract, but as a father giving direction to his children. He's not pointing us away from the forbidden terrain in the first place, but show us the way to the playing field. It's not the barbed wire that obstructs our freedom, but a guide to help us. God is not a spoiled sport, but he gives us the rules of the game, the guidelines according to which we can play the game of Christian freedom, the freedom of the children of God. That's why he says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? This is freedom by living according to your word. He says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Great peace, he says, verse 165, have those who love your law and nothing can make them stumble. That's the freedom of the children of God. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ lets us see the destination. The law shows us the way to that destination. And in Jesus, we have the way and the truth and the life because he is the word of God as a living human being. In Jesus we see the presence of God amongst us, not only through the pages of a book, but as a living person. No wonder that the psalmist, with his unclear understanding still of hope, can still go on and praise the Lord but you know what is written in Psalm 119 should be the response of every Christian who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ, who knows that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that Jesus is the word of God. Listen to the psalmist. This should be the words of Christians. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Oh, how I love your law. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. In short, if I had to make a choice for joy, he says, I choose God's word. If I have to make a choice for wealth, I choose God's word. What's your choice? What fills you with joy? I want to tell you a story uh, that was written in newspaper some years ago uh, about a Frenchman that developed some pain in his jaw in uh, the city of Bonn in Germany. 
So a, a German dentist uh, then decided to inject his jaw to help him uh, with his pain. But the problem didn't stop there. After that, the Frenchman claimed that he lost some of the feeling in his mouth and he claimed compensation in a German court from the doctor. And this was his argument. His joy in life was completely lost because he was not able to kiss properly anymore. As he used to do, he said. Well, his claim was not successful. You will be glad to hear. But a small thing took away his joy. The other day, Roy, this just comes to mind now. The other day, Roy, you know, has very nice cars. Uh, his, his, his Porsche is one beautiful car. And he stopped in front of our, of our house and some swallows made some nests there. And you know what happened. I don't say that it took Roy's joy away, but, but small things in life. The only thing I say to you, you can be happy that cows don't fly. <laughs> anyway, so the, 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 the fact is that small things can take away the joy in our lives. Small incidents. But the spiritually mature human being who has the word of God in his or her life, wouldn't allow that joy to be taken away by this and that. J.P. Fersteer says, the word of the gospel gives us the real and deepest joy of life. With Jesus, the word of God, we no longer miss our happiness, not by big or small things. Let's pray together. Father, give us more joy, not based on our feelings and what happens to us, but joy in the promises of your word. Joy in the fact that you have the future in your hand. So come, Lord, give us more love for your word. Let your word fill us. Remind us all the time of the promises of your word, of your commands, of your decrees. Because in that we find our real freedom. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.